What is up, everyone? We're back for another episode of the Wandering Freelancer Podcast. We're here today with John Bentley, who is a returning guest from a few weeks ago, and another guest by the name of Chris Brock. John, I would like you to introduce Chris. Well, we have the very big, awesome pleasure of meeting. I mean, this gentleman here in town is legendary. And I am not, no, I am not going to hold back. He is legendary. He's been a legend in Dallas for, Chris, you're going to be able to tell us better than I can, but I, I don't almost feel worthy of giving the introduction. Okay. Seriously. And I'm not lying. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Go ahead and expound. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I'm a legend. I am a survivor, I think, as a freelancer. That That's kind of how I put it. But thank you, John. But, you know, I think we'll probably go back. When did you first start in TV? Let's go there. Well, I'll make this brief. I grew up on a cotton farm in West Texas, and uh, my mom was a, was a receptionist at a little radio station, and I found out real quick it was a lot more fun to hang around there than it was hoeing and picking cotton. So uh, when we moved to Lubbock, uh, she got a job at a TV station, and they hired me, and I couldn't believe it. As a photographer, I was into photography in high school, and uh, I, I became a news photographer, and that was an eight-year stint. I got two degrees at Texas Tech doing it, and I learned so much and how to survive and, and how to thrive in, in the news business. And if you can do that, you can do about anything. And then a friend of mine that worked at the TV station moved to Dallas, and he wanted to build a video truck. Well, I had taken four years off and lived in New Mexico for a while, where that's a whole other long story. I uh, became a Wait man. I got to hear that story. About Eagle Nest? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll make this quick. I moved no, to take your time. <laughs> I'd moved, to, I'd moved to Eagle Nest with a guy I was in pottery class with who was building a house, and I just graduated. And I was pretty tired of shooting car wrecks and shootings and armed robberies and, you know, as such, mayhem every night. And I moved up there, and I was a carpenter, and a uh, weird thing happened. I, uh, they incorporated this small town, Eagle Nest, New Mexico, and a guy in a bar asked me if I wanted to run for city council. I was 25 years old. He goes, well, you've been a news guy. You've been around a lot of... City council meetings, I said, yeah, I've been in airplanes, too. I don't know how to fly them. And it scared me. I got elected. <laughs> I got elected. And people twice my age on the city council, we did a lot of great things. But uh, uh, the mayor, unfortunately, 40-year-old guy who shucked everything he owned and moved up there, passed away at a heart attack six months later. And oh. the council, because nobody else wanted to do it, appointed me the mayor. So oh. I, was the, I was the youngest mayor to ever serve in the state of New Mexico, and I never got indicted for anything. And it was a volunteer position. So that was a hell of an education. And after four years, I decided uh, I'd, I'd had enough of the mountains. It was a lot of fun, and I had a great time. And we started an ambulance system, and I became an EMT and a firefighter and all that great stuff, and it was so much fun. And we fought off a little level nuclear waste site. That was a big deal. And I decided to go back to grad school at Tech, and I did. I got my master's degree. And a guy I worked with in Lubbock, again, I said he wanted to build a video truck here in Dallas in the 80s, I believe in 1982. And I had just finished my degree, and I moved out here, and we built the first broadcast quality video truck in 82 was called Clearwater Teleproductions and I never looked back and that's kind of it in a nutshell <laughs> <laughs> very very interesting so uh how, how long roughly have you been in this business well, when I got to Clearwater, uh, we built a we built True Trucks actually, and it was right at that time when ESPN and Prime Network, which is now was Fox now Bally's, was starting, and the regionals networks were starting up, and they loved it because our truck 
we wouldn't have a truck around here. So they had to bring one from the east or west coast. So immediately, all of a sudden, I'm working for CBS, and I'm working for uh, ESPN and running handheld because that's what I'd done in the news business. It wasn't that big a transition. And, uh, man, I mean, all of a sudden, I'm working with the big wigs, and uh, I just kept kept doing it. And uh, I kind of represent John as well. We're kind of the first generation of real freelance freelancers here in Dallas because all the regional sports had happened. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of guys my age are retiring and, and uh, it's time for to pass the torch, but uh, it was a fabulous career and it just kept going and going and going. And uh, uh, I wound up uh, starting my own company, a uh, production company that was mildly successful and <laughs> survived that. And then, uh, uh, there's so much freelance work in Dallas. I mean, you have you have sports, you have the corporate world, AV world, which is huge, which is John is huge. And I thank John for getting me so much work in the AV world. Uh, he rec- he really has recommended for mountains and mountains of work. And uh, and then they built this little casino out here in Oklahoma, and I got it with them. And I wound up doing 500 shows for them in nine years. And uh, one phone call, and that went away. COVID, we're done. Get out. We're putting mm. slot machines in here. I'm and sorry then, to laugh. It's funny. I know. It's crazy. And then uh, this job at UNT came up here in Denton, and uh, I had a master's degree, and I called them up. I didn't have anything else to do. And I said, hey, I got a, I got an MA in MassCom, and she hired me over the phone. Hmm. And uh, I've been doing that now for four years, and uh, I'm loving it. Teaching's a lot of fun, and, and I've got a lot of stories to bore a lot of kids. But uh, I'm one of the few professionals in the department that has – I'm the only professional in our department that's done multi-camera television, and I don't sugarcoat it. I lay it out to them. This is how it is. And uh, we, we have two studios. We do uh, – my studio's a lab where I teach everybody. We have Ross switchers and, 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 and uh, imp- uh, expressions, and we have Playback Pro. Everything everybody's using in the industry we have, which I think is a real, real great uh, thing for the kids. And I teach them how to use all that. Then we do a live newscast Monday through Thursday. Uh, next door in, in our uh, other studio, and I teach them how to do that. And they run over there and they do news. And when they get out of there, they actually have a skill. And a lot of them get hired because they don't want old guys that make too much money anymore. They want younger, cheaper, faster. So that's kind of it. That is just incredible. I mean, that you know, I I don't care whether you like this or not, Chris. <laughs> no, no, come on now. You set a legacy here, and really, you did. You, 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 I mean, you are the type of guy that believed in you, your, your, when you would hire someone so much more than maybe that person did, you know, and through, you know, I remember, Hey man, have you shot rodeo before? I go, no. Well, come on, I'll show you. (laughs) I never shot it ever. I didn't know what I was doing, but no, you talked me into it. You know, you gave me a chance, man. That was way 20 some odd years ago. But uh, that's what, I mean, here you are a professor. Come on now. Come on. I, and the, we haven't got to the art part of it yet. There's a little <laughs> thing back here where we raise the curtain to see some of Chris's artwork. I've seen it on Instagram. I, I, Chris, you are a colorist. You realize that, right? Yeah, you I love, I love colorist. that. You are a colorist. They always talk about bragging about colorists for film and all this. Stuff. Mr. Brock is a colorist and professor. I mean, my goodness. I don't have, I really don't have enough more accolades than say, really, sir, you really are true honor 
And well, thank you. I, 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 coming from you, John, I respect you <laughs> as much as anybody in the industry, and I appreciate that. I kind of look on it as I never could hang on to a job very long. <laughs> but, you, but you know our business. If you if you have a 10-year gig at all in any part of our industry, that's that's pretty much shelf life. You know, that's pretty much shelf life. But, you know, growing up on a farm, uh, my granddad and my dad were fabulous role models, and by golly, you learned, you learned the ethics of hard work. You know, and it gets done, you know, you finish the task when the work is done. And that's how I grew up with that work ethic. And I'm glad I did because uh, uh, to me, this is this is fun. This isn't work, you know, it really is. So uh, that had a lot to do with it. That had a lot to do with it, John. And, and I've always, you know, I think there's two types of people in our industry when it comes to freelancers. There's people that don't want to show you what they do or anything about it because they're afraid you're going to take their job. And there's people like me and you are like, hey, man, I want to pay, I want to pay this forward because we're not going to be around forever. And there's a, there is a huge vacuum of freelancers and especially engineers in our industry right now, especially mm -hmm. after COVID. So many people quit and so many people retired. You know, I still get calls. I, it's amazing to me, you know, that they, if I, if they call me, they're down at the bottom. You know, they, they've run through all the cheap young guys. So, um, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I've gotten to do things that, that money can't buy in this industry. And it's been good to me. And, uh, and, uh, I'm very grateful for people like you that help me network along. And I do the same thing. You know, I do the same thing every chance I get. I have put kids on, on shows and with John Johns and, and with Craig Bandy and, and these kids are knocking it out. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a fun industry. You put me behind a desk and, I have to sit behind my desk to here and do paperwork. I can't do it for more than an hour. I got to go up and do something. <laughs> and for me, and for me, like coming as a used to be young guy and stuff like that, I appreciate for you guys that are leading the way and teaching us and not being the people that are it's like trying to protect your your job, you know, protect your your sorts of income, but that you're actually there also to help keep the industry going alive. And that's the most important thing. Well, that's what we have to do. I mean, you're only as good as your last show is really not a cliche. You know, I mean, I did I did the Cowboys for CBS Sports for years, and uh, you missed the ball one time, you're gone. It doesn't matter. And there's a great, great video called uh, NFL Control Room Sunday where Rousseau, and you may have worked for Rousseau uh, at Fox, he, he and all the crew go through what they do and how they do it. And I show that to my kids, and it, they just light up like, oh, my God, I had no idea that's what it takes to do an NFL football game. And I said, well, this is the sugar, this is the sugar coated part. And as I say, when the fecal material hits the oscillating device, <laughs> it, it, can, it can get a little interesting, right, John? Yeah. Oh, Chris. The most colorful oh. I've ever been cussed out in my entire life was on headset. So, you know, it's not for the weak and it's not for the uh, faint of heart, but man, it, it's like the old army thing, I guess. If you want a career, not a job, it's. Uh, and at the end, Russo says something really amazing. He says, "You know, uh, I can't play NFL football, but the closest thing to it, and the closest thrill I have to it, is doing an NFL game on Fox Sports mm -hmm. Live because you never know what's going to happen." Mm -hmm. That's a great quote. It is. Look, look up that video. It's on YouTube. It's called yeah. a Sunday Symphony," and it's uh, it's about Sunday Russo's crew. Best in oral. Hmm. Best in the world. Yeah. And nobody in that truck is under 30 years old or 40 years old. Yeah. These guys are seasoned pros. The yeah. audio guy does 148 inputs by himself. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, wow. you know, 
Yeah, yeah. And the switcher's as big as the football field. <laughs> yeah. I could never call an NFL game. I can do. I can direct a lot of stuff, but not that. Not that pressure. Yeah. No, thank yeah. you. Rodeos, no problem. Yes, and see, that's a lot of insight. This is so interesting, there, Chris. In your past job, your past jobs and stuff. What was your most memorable, memorable that I can even talk about? Memorable moment. Well, you know, there's there's been a lot of them, and uh, I think my most memorable moment wasn't doing sports. It was a piece that I helped get onto 60 Minutes. Uh, in our newsroom, at one time, there was this young kid named Scott Pelly, right out of Texas Tech, and he walked in that newsroom with a chip on his shoulder, and he and I hooked up, and he told me someday I'm going to sit in Walter Cronkite's chair. Well, by God, he did. You know, now he runs 60 Minutes, and he runs CBS News, and he's a phenomenal journalist. And uh, there was a, a kid here in Dallas that had a terminal disease and his dad was a cop in Richardson. And uh, my father, my brother-in-law knew about this guy. And he said, I want to do, I want to do a video and help these guys out, raise some money to help some research maybe to save this kid. And I said, okay, I'll shoot it, but I want to shoot it on broadcast. I don't want to shoot it on some crappy format. I want to shoot it on beta SP because I had an idea in mind. So, it's a long story, but uh, this kid, we followed him around, and he was only 10 years old, and he's, it, it's called monopolarosaccharidosis, where your body doesn't uh, metabolize sugar, right, and, and, and your joints start doing this. And this kid loved baseball beyond belief. So um, uh, Mark Dance, his name, and he, uh, he started raising money, and he was a cop, and that helped, and he had bake sales, and he had golf tournaments and everything in the world. And he found a doctor in Long Beach, California, of all things, that was working on this very product. And he got in touch with this guy and he said, hey, man, it's an orphan disease. The pharmaceutical companies don't want it. There's not enough money in it. And he goes, how much money do you need to keep going? He said a million dollars. And Mark Dent handed him a check a year later for a million dollars and said, get your ass to work. Well, they came up with a synthesized version of this hormone or this enzyme, rather. And it was just an infusion like a, a chemotherapy. And uh, he said, I'll, I'll go before the FDA and I will try to get a, a, a clinical trial. But it doesn't look good. You know, it's just not a big enough drug for anybody to want to bite on. So James and I, my brother-in-law, we put together a five minute testimonial about this. And we found some other families that had it too. And they're all like, Hey, if my kid's going to die, if this will help, this research will help any kids anywhere. We're all in. So he goes to Washington and we're all freaked out. You know, well, we'll see what happens. And he calls us and he said, you're not going to believe what happened. I gave all my paperwork and all my research to the FDA. And they went, yeah, you know, yeah, okay, thanks, no thanks. He said, let me show you a VHS tape. They said, we do not allow video into evidence. He goes, give me five minutes. He put that tape in and six minutes later, they approved the clinical trial. Wow. And that is one of the things I'm most proud of. And when I tell my oh, students this, I almost get choked up by it. So he gets a clinical trial. We follow the 10 kids that got in the trial all the way from Montana to, to Virginia. And we documented everything they did. And I called Scott up at 60 Minutes and said, I've got the story for you. And I laid it out to him. He goes, I don't have the budget for it. And I said, I've got it all shot on Beta SP. And he went, I'm sending a producer out. So they get the enzyme, they get little Brian Dan in a hotel in, in a, at UCLA Medical Center, and he's got the IV in, and I staged the shot where Dr. Kakis and his kid's parents all punched the big red button at the same oh. time. Mm. And uh, he, he made it. He just graduated from college. Some of the kids didn't make it through the clinical trials. Uh, 
Biomarin, a huge pharmaceutical company in California, got on board. They're now a multi-million dollar company, and all they do is orphan diseases. They're not out to get rich. And it was just one of the most amazing things I ever got to do. And a little video made a difference in a lot of people's lives. And you don't get a lot of that in our industry. Usually it's entertainment or sports or, you know, something. It's just disposable. But that made a big difference. In my news experience, as I tell my students, all my experiences help me to the next level. And knowing the news business and how to shoot a story and how to write a story, that was nothing for me. And knew how to interview people, do it all day long. So that's one of my most memorable moments right there. It's amazing how much our our jobs and our work that we do can have a powerful meaning to others. And how it can, you know, sometimes there's been stories of, of video used in evidence for other cases um, similar to that. And I would think our industry that we're in, especially even if it's not news, but everything else, we're, we have a very powerful presence. Well, Jefferson, Jefferson said, if I have to choose between a free press and a free government, I'll choose a free press. And, and the, the press is under such attack now by misinformation. And I could go on about this all night, but, <laughs> but, uh, and I tell my students, you guys got to sift through this. You've got to find out what the truth is and what the truth isn't. Russia puts in and China put in huge disinformation campaigns all day, every day, flooding every social media platform. And nobody knows what to think anymore. You know, if I get something like that, I'll look it up, you know, mm -hmm. but what do you look it up? You know, I think social media uh, really is uh, going to turn out to be one of the serious turning points in our, our social fabric of our, of our, of our lives. I and sociologists agree. are going to be talking about it for years. Oh. And, and oh. Uh, oh. it's, uh, it, it's a, like all technology, it's a double-edged sword. There's a great, great movie I suggest to anybody listen to this called The Social Dilemma. Oh. It's about the guys that started Facebook and then quit. They thought they were going to save the world, open platform, we're going to have all these great debates, and what it became terrified them and still does. And uh, oh. we see it every day. You see it every day. Yes. You know, and all, all the news organizations are guilty. It's present. Yep. Yep. Sorry, Fox and CNN. Yep. Are all, yep. They got to fill time. They got to fill time. Yep. You know, they got to sell soap. Oh, yeah. There was a great uh, guy named Gene Youngblood wrote a book back in the 70s called Expand the Cinema. And he said television was invented to create consumers. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah, a business. Uh, it's a business. It's a business. It is. It's a business. It's, you got to sell the soap. Mm -hmm. Yes. Anyway, it, yes. Uh, we, we dive into some of that in my class because we're going to be doing, they're going to be doing news. Uh, I try to hit on everything that I've been involved in in the industry. So they might have some idea what part of the industry they might want to go into. But you know what's funny? I ask them how many of them watch broadcast TV. Maybe one percent of them watch wow. actual broadcast TV. So where do they get it's, their where do they get their their news from? Social media and on their phone, right yep. pretty much. Right here. Yeah. Yep. I mean, do they have like just? I guess they get it from Twitter, from the social media updates yep. on, say, for instance, different news agencies that are on Twitter and just getting this the small bites. Nothing like watching the five o'clock newscast anymore. Well, and then the five o'clock newscast is twenty minutes of headlines. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know it's not news. They all they could do is tell you, well, fifty thousand people died a day, and now let's go to the next story, next story, next story, and they're off. You know, Shepard Smith had a phenomenal newscast for a while on MSNBC, and it was an hour long. And I don't know who he pissed off, but he disappeared one night. <laughs> I mean, it was great. He wouldn't let any politician off the hook, no matter they what. Found out he was a child. You, know, you can't find him on the internet. They may have sent him to, Went to Epstein. They might have sent him to Ukraine, man. I don't, but he worked for Fox for years. 
and he couldn't stomach that. And he went over uh, and started in, with NSNBC, and it, it was worth watching. <laughs> you know, know but when you think about this, when you think about this, you get 30 minutes of news on the networks. Entertainment Tonight is also 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. There you have it. And there's a great book uh, called House of Trump and House of Putin. And it is all about the GRU, which used to be the KGB in Russia. They have a six-story building full of technicians that do nothing but disinformation 24-7. Hmm. That's all they do. Every social media platform, every TikTok, every YouTube, every Instagram, every what all, I don't know what all they are, but that's what they do all day long. And if you go into the comment sections, like in Yahoo News, you can spot them. Yeah. You know, pretty easy. But I know how to spot them. And most of the kids are like, really? That thing they shot out of the air Sunday, it was a UFO and it's full of aliens? We'll all be gone. <laughs> now we're all going to die because the aliens are going to kill us all. They're going to be pissed off and come back at us. It's going to be they a are, pissed day revisit. No, you know what? They're, they're never going to invade the Earth because there's no intelligent life here. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they figured that out a long time ago. But I can see a lot. The travel guides and the alien uh, TV shows like avoid Earth at all costs. Oh, that's Those people are nutty. They're crazy. No, no especially Texas. Hell, they'll just shoot you. <laughs> yeah, right. I got my guns. I'm, I'm pro gun. I think. I think people were basically saying here, like, let this balloon or whatever fly over Texas. So we'll just shoot it down. That's like right. A duck hunt. Absolutely. I'll tell you a quick story about that. I was doing the national finals rodeo, and they decided to put the sky cam in there, right? Okay, for rodeo. Well, the ropers, when the, when they let the calf out, the ropers come out and they rope the calf and they jump on it and they tie it. Well, they decided to chase the horse while the horse was going towards the calf. Well, if the horse sees something flying over its head, what does it think? It's a predator. Yep. <laughs> so the horses freak out. This is a million-dollar deal. So all the ropers at the next production meeting, 8 o'clock, walked in and said, Sean, that dang camera's up there tonight. I'm roping that son of a bitch. I'm dragging it all the way out. And <laughs> oh, and they oh had, wow. And they had to park it. Oh, that's hilarious. And it was a sponsored element. They oh, spent my. a fortune on it. But did they ask any of us? Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, you don't need sky cam and rodeo. It's not that It's not that <laughs> thrilling, okay? That's true. Yeah, I, I've, I was at the couple weeks ago the forward stock show and rodeo here and they actually they had the sky sky cam but it mostly came over just the the pits the the pins the where pit, they were yeah. at and that's about it well, they, they didn't they didn't just kind of almost like a top down look you know kind of a that's a good look down. at a bull that yeah they yeah. used to do that with a, yeah that's but, a good look on a bull for but sure. it never went out into the arena yeah it never went yeah, out into the arena everything to do any kind of distraction and stuff like that yeah I, I did the fort worth stock show in the old arena for 10 years and it was uh I always like to say that arena was the, the alternate place for the Battle of the Alamo. It was so old. But uh, we got the job done. John, you, you worked for me out the Fort Worth a few times, didn't I, I'm you? sure I probably did. Yeah. I'm sure we I did. We did 29 shows in 30 days or something. It was a grinder. Yeah. yeah. It was a grinder. But now uh, RFD's picked them up, and they're on uh, Cowboy TV, which I think is an RF spinoff, RFD spinoff. And uh, uh, All right. Rodeo's always had to fight to get on network. They love the PBR, but regular old rodeo, I don't think they pull their numbers to, to really make. Of course, now you've got people throwing hatchets, and you've got people throwing sandbags into holes, and that's on ESPN. I'm like, really? <laughs> Cornhole. Cornhole. Well, Cornhole tournaments, slapping guys. tournaments and stuff like that, but we can't have just a bullfighting yes, and you know, yes, riding bulls yes, and everything. That's right. That's high-end entertainment here, boys. But... <laughs> But an honest question, do you think broadcast television would be able to survive having 
or what we would just turn to more of an internet-based streaming for news. Because even most of the other, you know, Fox News and CNN and MSNBC, they all have a streaming platform to watch the yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Channel 8 tried it. when, when They tried it for a while, and, and, and like J.C. Penney tried it for a while. I used to work for them a lot. Of course, they didn't make it, and that's a shame. They're really great people. I love working with them. But it, I don't know. I mean, they've got that big, fat broadcast bandwidth, you know, and I just don't think it'll be replaced. But, but I guarantee you Channel 8's not paying their anchors a million dollars a year like they did back in the 90s. That ain't happening. You see a new face on Channel 8 every week. It's good. it's good for my students. I mean, mm-hmm. they're loving our, you know, one of my students graduated. Now she's producing a morning show in Tyler. Used to, you didn't produce, you didn't get on the air until you were in your 40s and you had 20 years of journalism experience. Mm-hmm. Forget that. You read a prompter and you look good and smile, you're in. You're very so It's changing. You know, it's changing. And John and I have freelanced for Channel 8 a long time and they're great people. I mean, there's people, there's guys that work there their entire life. Jerry Cadigan's been there 48 yep. years. Yep. Hmm. And the, and the changes he's seen, yeah. but I don't know what's going to happen to broadcast, but I wouldn't be buying any TV stations right now. No, probably not. Wow, what a great episode. And that's just only the first part. Be sure to listen in next week for part two with Chris Brock and John Bentley as we discuss more of television and also how to manage being an LLC and escort. Catch you next time.